This is Brand and New from the International Trademark Association. This podcast series explores changes and dynamics in the legal world, now and tomorrow, with a focus on intellectual property. I am Audrey Dove, welcome to Brand and New. These days, there's not a week without a privacy-related topic hitting the news. From data breaches affecting millions of people to social network marketing strategies, targeting advertising, or geolocation tracking technologies, privacy issues are everywhere. Since the adoption of the EU General Data Protection Regulation in 2016, also called GDPR, there has been no denying that these issues have become critical for all companies, big or small, European or not, with high legal, financial, commercial, and reputational stakes. GDPR is actually the most important change in data privacy regulation in the last 20 years. It reshapes the way in which data is handled across every economic sector. Pascal Gelli will tell us more about this regulation, its impact for companies and people, its interactions with intellectual property and even beyond the European Union. Pascal, who has an intellectual property background, has been practicing data protection law since the 90s in Paris, France, handling data protection affairs for major international companies such as General Electric and working as an outside counsel on emerging and international issues. She is now the Group Data Protection Officer for Schneider Electric, one of the world leaders in the electronics industry. Pascal, as a lawyer who has been practicing data protection law for more than 20 years, where did your interest start from? This area was not considered as essential even 10 years ago. How do you explain such a shift in perception? Is it due to the higher level of financial sanctions under the GDPR to its extra-European scope of application or maybe to a higher awareness of of privacy-related risks? Well, that's many questions at the same time, Audrey. Um, <laughs> well, I grew interested in, uh, in the data protection topic after studying at uh, Columbia Law School. And then I joined a, a French international law firm back in 1993. And at this time, uh, that was a very beginning of uh, data protection uh, practice. Most of our clients, actually, uh, were U.S. clients. And they were the most uh, sensitive to compliance at the time. And they were referred to me because I could speak English. And so that's how, being an IT lawyer, I grew interest in this area because it is uh, very focused on protecting data protection rights, freedom of individuals. Although at the time, there was uh, very little enforcement and, and guidance on it. Today, we can really talk about a GDPR effect. Although our 1995 directive was a, a first important step, it didn't have the same impact as a GDPR. The higher level of financial sanctions has a role uh, to play here. GDPR has caught a lot of media attention here. It has uh, therefore resulted in an increased awareness from that We've seen also uh, a profession arising, a legal profession arising, and privacy professionals arising. So why is uh, GDPR uh, attracting so much of attention? It's probably a combination of all the criteria you mentioned. There is no magic wand. Regulators have understood that without sanctions, the level of compliance would 
be unlikely, not as high as it is now, because it's a way to put a topic on the agenda of top executives. But at the same time, another important factor to make GDPR top topic is clearly the evolution of our society. We see that in all economical sectors, even the primary and secondary sector, the digital economy is making a big impact. All sectors are using now big data, are using artificial intelligence, are using applications. And so they have to care about the way they are protecting personal information. And of course, there is greater awareness among individuals. We see that we have a recent study in the European Union. The European Commission is bringing a, a Eurobarometer and mm -hmm. 67% of European citizens are now aware of GDPR and this number keeps increasing. And what are your, your views about what's happening also outside the European Union about GDPR? There have been uh, initially uh, a lot of uh, concerns around GDPR, a real worry, uh, which was uh, interesting because some companies even say that they would stop providing their services to uh, the European Union. And I think that this concern has decreased over time, probably uh, because companies are now realizing that this is not just about GDPR. Uh, this GDPR effect is all around the world. There are data protection laws in more than 130 countries in the world. Every month we hear about a law which is either updated or a new law which is enacted in a country. This is unavoidable. Businesses which want to do business outside of their country must take into consideration data protection compliance. The companies you have worked for uh, were already subject to data protection regulations in all European Union countries before the GDPR. What were the major changes introduced by the new law in these companies' operations? Do you think some requirements uh, remain more challenging than others for big companies to comply with for lack of clarity of the regulation or for being difficult to implement in practice? And definitely. First of all, the buzzword under GDPR is accountability. Of course, it goes without saying that an organization must be accountable for what it does. But under GDPR, accountability carries a lot of meaning and underlying obligations. In particular, well, it will require some obligations like documenting what you're doing. Some documentation obligations make complete sense. Putting some governance in place makes sense because you mm -hmm. cannot put in compliance things which you don't inventory. But other documentation obligations may seem quite burdensome, a bit contradictory with the way organizations are operating their businesses. And this is what we hear from the field on a day-to-day -day basis where they tell us, okay, this is taking too much time to do your analysis. We need to launch. This is what we need to do. Uh, let me give you an example. We have to document the reasons why we are making decisions around the legal basis on uh, launching a data processing activity, uh, whether mm -hmm. we are going to use the consent or whether we're going to use another legal basis. This has to be documented. And this is not easy to be done. 
And this is rather unusual uh, to have to document your legal reasoning. Contractual lawyers don't document their reasoning when they do a contractual negotiation. And they don't document the reason why they have uh, recommended to conclude a liability clause this way and not the other way. But under Mm -hmm. data protection, we have to do that. And this is new. So it's a challenge. Uh, There are other uh, challenges uh, like doing data protection impact assessments for sensitive activities putting in place um, data breach notification organizations to ensure that we can notify uh, data breaches within 72 hours. And talking to my peers, well, we realized that 72 hours is an extremely short time frame when there are various stakeholders uh, to involve in order to decide whether the security incident you're facing is really a privacy breach and whether it meets the notification requirements. So that's Mm -hmm. another challenge. There are also still some gray areas which um, make it difficult for businesses to to know whether they are doing the right thing. Which one? Do you have an example? Well, we have to document Uh, When we launch an activity, what is the legal basis? Whether this activity will require the consent of the individual or whether this activity is necessary to perform the contract with the individual, that is not too difficult to do, or whether this activity is justified by the legitimate interest of the organization. And here, sometimes you could argue that there is a legitimate interest of the organization. But then others could argue that there is a need for the consent uh, of the individual. And what we find is that even among data protection authorities, there isn't a consensus on this topic. So the problem is that if you launch an IT system, it's going to be the same across the European Union. If an authority says that you have to use consent in a country and another authority says, well, you can use the legitimate interest in another country, then Mm -hmm. what is the option you can use? Of course. You don't feel like you are in the European Union where there is one law Mm -hmm. which is supposed to apply. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. As we mentioned earlier, the GDPR mainly applies to companies established in the European Union. But even if an organization has no establishment in the EU, the GDPR might still apply Mm -hmm. if the organization offers goods or services to or monitors the behavior of individuals located in the EU. Based on your experience, Pascal, how has this extraterritorial scope of application been affecting international companies with a presence in and out of the EU? And and beyond the GDPR express scope of application, have you noticed some form of harmonization through internal policies and processes within international groups? Yes, the extraterritorial effect of GDPR raises complex issues for organizations to address. And it is likely that the regulators and the businesses do not 
encompass yet all the ramifications and impacts today. There are draft guidelines from the regulators, but they are not finished yet. Today, I think we have to try to address this in a simple way. And you're very right in pointing that the approach of having policies is one of the simple way to address. And companies operating in multiple countries, you know, should consider this approach of adopting an international framework for operation. Because again, IT systems are usually of one block. They are the same everywhere. And it makes sense to apply the same rules, the same principles to the IT systems instead of applying different rules. Of course, the laws are different in each country and you would still have to comply with the laws of each country in the end. But starting with a global policy is definitely the simplest way to approach the extraterritorial effect of GDPR. What we see also is a way to draft contracts with suppliers which take into consideration a broader approach and not a territorial approach. This way, wherever the supplier is located, wherever the supplier processes information, the supplier will have to comply with a standard set of rules. And that's what we start seeing in supplier contracts. So trying to achieve simplicity. What this all shows is that clearly we have a big need for an international data protection framework because we end up in surprising situations where there are countries which adopt superb data protection laws and companies which operate in these countries have to comply both at the same time with their law and also with GDPR because the operators who are in these countries provide services to companies which are in the European Union. And it becomes very complex. There seems to be some tensions between IP and data protection, as privacy rights often trump the monopoly rights of any IP asset owner. One obvious way privacy issues interact with IP is when it comes to a brand's reputation. Do you believe reputation damage in relation to privacy breaches is a risk companies contemplate and mitigate well enough? And Can companies assume that compliance with GDPR is enough to protect their brands and reputation? Or do you think they should implement additional strategies, such as specific insurance policies, express liability provisions in their service agreements, or even public relations firms? You're right. I mean, I was once an IP lawyer, and now as a privacy lawyer, we we address the situation the same way. A privacy risk, like an IP risk, uh, not only raises a financial risk, but definitely a risk to reputation. Today, uh, companies definitely have to take that into consideration because the way the regulator wants to make data protection progress is by example. So by example, that means by making sanctions public. It doesn't mean that all sanctions will be public, but some sanctions will be public if it can be useful in order to make examples and make things progress. 
So that's the trend which we are seeing today. And so we have to be prepared to, to this risk. So you're very right. Uh, having PR team well aware of what data breach is, is very important to have a, a proper statement. Of course, it's very important to have a proper program in order to handle data breaches. And that includes uh, having proactively created a program where you have internally mechanisms to enable your teams, but also people outside to report incidents when they spot them, but also to manage the incident when you receive it, to involve all the appropriate stakeholders so that you manage it quickly. So that's the security team, of course, the legal team, the business, the privacy team. You have to do mock exercises so that you have to be prepared because you never do it the right way the first time. The question is never whether you're going to have a, a data breach, but it's more when you're going to have it. Uh, I probably did not answer one of your questions, which was about insurances, because indeed there are now uh, insurances available on the market, uh, cybersecurity insurances, um, data breaches insurances. That was not the case a few years ago. Just for the the anecdote, I once heard an insurer that it's very, very difficult and almost impossible to anticipate fully a cyber risk. So, uh, but it's better <laughs> to have an insurance policy that, than known. The GDPR, Pascal, has fostered a wave of innovation in, in relation to privacy-enhancing technologies, some being developed in-house and bundled with the good of, or service presenting a potential privacy risk, and others developed on the side uh, by startups and new companies. Uh, I think, for instance, of password-safe solutions. Do you believe privacy risks may ultimately foster the development of IP and new markets for companies subject to the GDPR? In other words, are there business opportunities there? Certainly, it is actually one of the great ambitions of GDPR to encourage the development of privacy-enhancing technologies. Article 25 of GDPR requires the implementation of data protection by design. So it means that tools and processes must embed the privacy principles and obligations into their development. Technology has to be here to help. Well, if it's not here already, it, it has to be developed. So what we saw is that very quickly uh, before GDPR came into force, we saw all large IT providers which claimed that their solutions would enable to be GDPR compliant by uh, anonymizing or encrypting data. That's one thing we've been seeing. We've seen the development of uh, also SAFE uh, for mm -hmm. uh, personal information, as you indicated. Uh, we've seen the development of several uh, encryption technologies and anonymization technologies, and many small players are also entering into the market. And that's what the uh, European institutions want to see happening. As an in-house counsel, uh, how in practice do you raise awareness and ensure there's an actual knowledge transfer among all teams in your company, from product design to marketing or even human resources, so that business teams and legal teams work hand in hand and on a project basis or 
through dedicated training sessions or tools? How does it work? My motto is empowerment. I believe that the privacy professionals have to give their organizations and the people in the business and to transfer them the knowledge and the tools so that they can address by themselves the most common and routine privacy issues. We can do that, you know, in many ways. Training, of course, by FAQs, by guidelines, but we have to build that with them so that it addresses their needs. Then they become true owners and it enables the privacy professionals to focus on strategic issues, complex issues, specifics. And the way we've been doing it at Schneider Electric is that we've appointed in each key function a privacy champion. And this privacy champion enables the privacy team to identify what are the needs in his function and to develop this specific training, these specific FAQs, and to roll them out and to maintain them. So it's really a a collaboration uh, story between the privacy team and somebody in the business who can then push all the materials developed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then the other thing we, we do, and which is a lot of fun to do, we, we, we develop awareness tools and we organize awareness events. The one we like to do is, um, the event we organize every year around the annual data protection day. The, it's, it's the international data protection day. It's on January 28th. It's all around the world. It's not specific to our organization. And we call it a take a privacy moment. So we make a lot of buzz in the company. Uh, we organize webinars. We have booths on many sites. And uh, last year we displayed uh, cartoons, fun cartoons on privacy topics, uh, which were um, actually drawn by, uh, I, uh, by a cartoonist hired by IFCDP. IFCDP is um, the French Association of uh, Privacy Professionals. And we also handed out fortune cookies. So <laughs> in the fortune cookies, we had the little messages, but they were all privacy-oriented. So messages like, think twice before uh, sharing personal information. Or uh, if you spot privacy incident, uh, please call uh, this number. Thank you very much, Pascal. Now I have few rapid-fire questions for you. Uh, where do you take inspiration from? The people who really inspire me are, are usually are mostly, uh, I would say, the first women uh, were pioneers in data protection. They imposed themselves on a topic which was not easy because nobody believed in it 25 years ago. They are the ones who inspire me more. People like my, my friend Peggy Eisenhower or Nula O'Connor-Kelly or um, Cecilia. Well, I can, I can name many people. What's the last book you read? I read a book by um, Tracy Chevalier. It's called The Last Runaway. And it, it's about a girl who is an immigrant from England moving to um, Ohio back in the 19th century. What would you have liked to invent or to create? Clearly the wheel. This is, uh, I think, the the greatest uh, invention of all because it helped us uh, progress and move instead of uh, uh, being static and uh, isolated. What could we have done without the wheel? 
Thank you very much, Pascal. Thank you. My guest today was Pascal Gelli, the Global Data Protection Officer, DPO, of the group Schneider Electric. Thank you for listening to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for new episodes. If you like today's podcast, please subscribe and share it. We are always looking for new people to discover brand and new. And to learn more about INTA, its resources and events, please visit www.inta.org.